Well, good morning. Uh, glad you joined us today, whether it's here in person or whether you're checking out the message online. My name's Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover. We've been addressing some uh, current issues in this series, and uh, it's prompted some really good, honest, in-depth discussions in our groups. Um, today we're going to be looking at the issue of racism, and basically we want to say this. May we be for people and against racism. Now, I understand the privileges I have as a white male, so if it seems like I'm not the most qualified person uh, to speak on this, trust me, I understand. But as we always say, may God be the one that we hear. May he be the voice that is more clear than any other person's voice. And we're trusting the Bible and the Holy Spirit to lead us today. Now, just a question. When you think of Jesus, uh, how do you picture him? I mean, if people had cell phones, we'd have tons of pictures of him, right, when he was on the earth. I mean, Instagram would be loaded of people with their selfies of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, I Googled Jesus, and uh, here are five of the images that popped up. Yeah. Yeah. You notice anything uh, interesting about all of those? Jesus looks a little bit white for a Jewish guy from the Middle East, don't you think? <laughs> that was funny. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so if that's not maybe quite accurate, what about these pictures instead? Are, are these more accurate? You know, is this more like what Jesus uh, looked like? Well, we don't know for sure, but they certainly open our eyes to, to other possibilities. One Sunday morning a few years ago in India, um, we gathered with about 50 Christians packed into a small room to worship. Beautiful hearts, beautiful people, beautiful faith. But there was a picture hanging on the wall that represented Jesus, and it nearly broke my heart. It made, me th it made me sad to think that these Christians, these followers of Jesus in India who were taking a great risk just to be together to worship, had a picture of the white Jesus hanging in their room. Now, it's not bad that we portray Jesus in a way that we can relate to him, but it is bad if every single representation of Jesus happens to be that white picture. There's just something very wrong with that. Now, here's a second related question. What do Christians look like? A hundred years ago, 80% of all Christians lived in Europe and North America. Today, that number is less than 40%. Most Christians now live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Two-thirds of all Christians in the world are women, and the average age of a Christian is 24. So, that means the average Christian today is a 24-year-old woman living somewhere like Ghana or Peru or South Korea. Of course, no single picture can, can really represent 2 billion Christians. And that's a wonderful thing. Diversity shows God's creativity. Our differences should be celebrated, but too often they cause suspicion and division. Seven generations ago, my ancestor, Peter Murphy, came to the United States. Like many, he faced discrimination because of his racial heritage. He was a white male, but he wasn't the right kind of white male. Our years in Costa Rica and Venezuela gave me a very small glimpse of this kind of discrimination. We were definitely in the minority, and we experienced mild racism. As we struggled with the language, some people thought we must not be very bright, you know? Um, others made fun of us. Some people intentionally cut in line in front of us. Sometimes when we would take a taxi or go to buy a product, they would try to charge us more. However, as missionaries, we were often placed on a pedestal. 
And so any racism and, and rejection we felt was tempered by that. Dr. Susan Smith is an African-American theologian, and she has a very different perspective than mine. She writes this, History is told from the perspective of the winners, and clearly white Americans have been the winners. We learned little of the vicious racism of white people arriving here, occupying the land which belonged to Native Americans, exterminating innocent people. We learned that there was slavery, but our history lessons didn't get too deep about the horrors of that institution. We learned about Reconstruction, but we didn't learn that white people were angry about gains made by black people and that Jim Crow was put into place in order to reverse those gains. We didn't learn about the means white people took to keep black people from voting. We didn't learn about the lynchings that took place regularly. Emmett Till's name was never mentioned. In this current presidential campaign cycle, I see and hear racism. While many white people deny that racism exists or that it is as bad as it once was, black and brown people know differently. Whether we recognize it or not, racism exists, and that is not okay. Again, we need to be for people and against racism. I was blessed up to grow, in a home, grow up in a home in the 1970s that, that really tried to oppose racism. We weren't allowed to tell any ethnic jokes unless they were Irish. When the first African-American family moved into our lily-white neighborhood, our family didn't freak out and move away, but a lot of my friends did. Dating someone of another race wasn't even a problem in our house. But if I'm really transparent with you, I have to admit I still notice a person's race. I notice a person's gender, their height, their clothes, their tats. I notice their hair, or if they're blessed enough to be handsome that they don't need it. <laughs> Sometimes I, I honestly prejudge a person by their appearance. Maybe you do too. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And, and what's interesting is some of us would think, wow, it's so cool that his dream came true. There's no more racism. But racial tensions have increased in the U.S. in the last few years. And immigrants throughout the world face racism, including here. And while younger generations are thankfully more colorblind than older ones, racism is still around. Now, God is not silent on this issue, especially for those of us who follow Jesus. So let's look at some Bible verses and concepts about racism. A foundational principle is that we would oppose racism because all people are valuable. All people are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every person is special. But among all people, Adam and Eve were kind of unique. What race were Adam and Eve? Well, they were the human race. And, and really, that's, that's true in a way. Their DNA was amazing. Every race sprang from Adam and Eve. In a way, Adam and Eve, in Adam and Eve, all people... All people, all people groups, all, all generations, all nations 
We're together in one place at the same time in harmony with God and with each other. That's pretty cool. Over time, racial diversity grew and so did racial tension. God established the Jewish people with Abraham and he said he was going to bless all nations, all people groups, through him. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus came to earth. Jesus began to reunite the divided races back to God and to each other by bringing salvation through his sacrifice. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now, what's a Gentile? Well, that's anyone who's not a Jew. If you're a Gentile, you are not in the original group of people that worshiped Jesus. You're in the add-on group, and I am too. But that, again, shows that all people are special to God. Jews, Gentiles, God created, God sustains, and God loves all of us. Again, every person is made in the image of God. So that should be enough for us to oppose racism. We are made in the image of God, and we can imitate God. Humans are unique. We, we understand morality. We create. We reason. We feel. We sacrifice. We hurt. We give. We share. We love. We can imitate God. That's an incredible responsibility and an incredible opportunity. One of Jesus' best friends, John, wrote all about love. And 1 John is a great book that talks about this. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he writes this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He says, since God loved us, we should love each other. We imitate God by loving. Love is evidence of God's presence in our lives. As we mentioned last week, Jesus summarized the entire law and the prophets with just two commandments about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In Luke's account of this, uh, right after these commandments comes a question by uh, a religious scholar, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on to talk about the Samaritan who goes beyond racial hatred and tension and reaches out to his enemy, the Jewish man. In your life groups this week, I'd like for you to take some time to see what God says about taking care of the foreigner within your borders. That runs counter to some of the talk we're hearing in our world right now. But God is very serious about it. Love God, love people, all people. Our mission statement says that love God, love people, impact the world. You know, if you really love people, you're going to make a positive impact in the world. That just makes sense, doesn't it? We, we serve and care and meet needs. We help, we teach, we disciple because of love. You can't really impact the world unless you love people. We get that. But do we get this? You can't really love God unless you love people. Oh, come on, Steve, that's not fair. 
I mean, you have no idea the people that are in my life. I mean, some of them are true jerks. I can love God, but I cannot love them. Well, through John, God says, that's simply not possible. Look at verses 19 through 21 in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. It may be challenging, but we must love God's children to love God. Think of it this way. If you came to me and said, you know, Steve, uh, I really don't like your kids. I, I honestly don't. Um, I can't stand them, in fact. Don't want to be around them. They make me very uncomfortable. But you know you? You I like. Well, I can tell you that we're not going to have a very good relationship. It's just not going to happen. Don't you think that's how God feels? You know, God, I, I can't stand these people you made. You're children, but why don't you and I hang out? No. Love God. Love people. The two go hand in hand. Blatant racism is, is obvious, and most of us probably don't live that way. But racism can be much more subtle and sinister. For example, if someone of another race moves, moves in next door and you even have the slightest twinge of disappointment, you might be more racist than you think. If a group of teenagers that's not of your race is walking toward you, and you feel more uncomfortable than if that group was of your same race, you might be more racist than you think. If you're white and you use the word brother when you're talking to a black man more than you would with a white man, you might be more racist than you think. If you think someone who doesn't speak flawless English must not be very intelligent, you might be more racist than you think. If you tend to think some people are better at certain things or, or worse at certain things simply because of their racial heritage, you might be more racist than you think. We need to own this. Let's admit that racial tension exists and we contribute to it. And then let's look to God to change our hearts to be more like his, to have his imprint. See, people are made in God's image whether they follow Jesus or not. And people can imitate God, especially if they follow Jesus, because they have both the image of God and the imprint of God on their lives. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Commentator Craig Keener writes, some Greco-Roman cults claim to ignore social divisions like those Paul mentions here, although they rarely erased them. But the early Christians were especially distinctive in surmounting such divisions. They formed the only bridge between Jews and Gentiles and had few allies in challenging social, racial, and gender prejudices. You know, historically, 
Christians have been on both sides of racism. On the one hand, Christians have at best looked the other way, or worse, used the Bible to justify horrific thoughts and behaviors towards other people. On the other hand, followers of Jesus have consistently opposed racism, bigotry, and hatred. So let's keep doing that as God leads us. See, when we become Christians, walls should be removed. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I wonder sometimes if Sunday mornings are depressing for God. You realize it's one of the most segregated times of the week, right? There are black churches and white churches and Korean churches and Chinese churches. We hang out together during the week, and when we worship God, we go to our little groups. We should be one body, one family, worshiping God together. We should do all we can to to tear down the barriers that divide us. We should love and reach out to all people, whether they're Christians or not, but especially other followers of Jesus. As a local church, we're more diverse than we used to be, but we want to be more diverse than we are. So we ask God for diversity and harmony and unity and reconciliation among the races. And listen, if you're uncomfortable being around people of other races, you're going to have a challenge. You better change. If not, heaven's going to be a real problem for you. (laughs) Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That's the picture of heaven. Through Jesus, who is sometimes called the second Adam, all people groups will be together in one location at the same time in harmony with God and with each other. Pretty cool. It's like we've returned to the Garden of Eden. Racial harmony in heaven is a reality. May it be a reality here on earth. As Jesus prayed, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At the height of the tension about segregation, a first grade girl went on her first date to this newly integrated school. After school, her mother asked, how did everything go, honey? She said, oh, mother, you know what? A little black girl sat next to me. Her mother asked calmly, and what happened? The little girl replied, we were both so scared that we held hands all day. May we have that same heart. May we join hands, join hearts, join lives with people of all races. May we be the first to show love to 
to welcome, to encourage, to support those who are not part of our people group. Earlier we mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King, who followed God's plan for his life to bring us closer to racial reconciliation. He once said, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Well, here's the good news. Truth and unconditional love do have the final word. Returning to 1 John chapter 4, we read this starting in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sends his only son to us, not just to live, but to die. He died to remove the stain of our racism. racism. Even more, he died to fix our relationship with God. He died to save us from an eternity without him and gave us life forever here on earth and with him in heaven. And if you'd like to know more about what that is, like to talk about that, you can come down in a minute as we sing a song. Or you can find one of our staff or elders or leaders at any time. We would love to have that conversation with you. You, you've already been made in God's image. And God wants to place his imprint on your heart and save you, to give you hope, to give you peace, to give you life. So we recognize all people are made in God's image, and we have the privilege of imitating God by loving people. And we are able to do that best when we allow God to imprint our hearts with the Holy Spirit. So as we close, let's define what a win looks like. This week, two actions are going to demonstrate a win for us. First, pray. Ask God to show however you may be inclined toward racism. And if you already know, ask God to forgive and change your heart. Ask God to, to open the door to connect you with someone of another race. And ask for an opportunity to speak out against racism this week. So first, pray. Second, obey. Prayer is action, and so is obedience. So when God opens that door to connect with someone, walk through it. Begin to build a bridge instead of a wall. With God, you can. And when you see an opportunity to stand against racism, do it. Don't just think it. Say something about it. Get involved. With God, you can. So, the win is to pray and to obey. Would you pray with me? God, you have created each person in your image. Help us to recognize their value, their worth, 
in the way that you see them. Forgive us when we have looked down on anyone because of their race. If we are followers of of Jesus, remind us that we have been imprinted with the Holy Spirit and that we should stand against racism by what we say and what we do. Give us opportunities to build relationships with precious, diverse souls all around us. May people know we are Christians by the love we share for you and for each other. Even more, may they be drawn to you because of that love, your love. We need your grace, your strength, your power to make this happen. So place your imprint on our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?